Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play, and boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, welcome to the Red Flags webinar. This is extremely important. If you're here live, I commend you because Monday you're going to have some patience and something that you learned today might walk in tomorrow. And I know it will be available recorded on AccuVids, but there's no time like the present. No time like the present. So, what we're going to do, what the point of today is, is there's four goals that you need to learn. Four goals. One is when to, at the end of this webinar, you will know how to look at a condition and know when to refer it out as soon as possible. You'll also know when to look at a condition and know it's something you can't treat. And you'll know it's something you can't treat because it won't look right. You see, we don't have to know what this red flag is, but what we do have to know, we have to recognize that it's not normal. And remember this, there's one quote I'm gonna give you, I know I gave a lot of quotes. The one quote is, when in doubt, refer out. When in doubt, refer out. The last thing you're gonna learn is predispositions of certain red flag conditions to certain types of patients that have certain types of illnesses. This way we can prime ourselves. Should something walk in the door, we could say, yes, that person has diabetes. They're more susceptible to cellulitis. They're more susceptible to, they just had a, a fracture. They're more susceptible to bleeding that could cause compartment syndrome. Okay, so let's really keep that in mind and let's enjoy it. This is gonna be something. This is definitely worth the price of admission. That was a joke because it's a free webinar, so it didn't cost anything, but it's definitely worth your investment of time. All right, let's get started. So the seven different red flags we are going to cover, or the seven different concepts we are going to cover are infections, obvious symptoms of aneurysm and meningitis, blood clot, deep vein thrombosis, embolism, the difference between costochondritis or having a rib out and a pulmonary embolism or heart attack, myocardial infarction. How to diagnose, this is going to be a really, really cool one. How to diagnose stroke from Bell's palsy. Two similar conditions, similar clinical presentations, but succinctly uh, different assessment tools. Complications of fractures and complications of muscle injury. So it's all going to tie together. Okay, cellulitis. This is infection. This is going to be the most common red flag that you will see to date in my practice. So it's like halfway through 2019. I've seen four, four cases of cellulitis, four cases of infection. The recent one was Monday, had a patient who was bitten by a dog 
and they went to the doctor and it didn't look too bad. The second day they came to me, they was treating them for a different problem and they had all of the symptoms. Infection of cellulitis is caused by strep or staph infection. Does it really matter what causes it when they come into your office? No, what matters is that we recognize it. The signs, redness, warm or hot, tender to the touch and painful. In extreme cases, patient has fever and flu-like conditions. I've actually drawn on my arm what an infection will look like. So I'm gonna come up to the camera. Can, can they see that okay? Under the light, can you see the distinct difference there? All right, so if you see, if I stand here, what happens, this is my normal skin. This is what it will look like. This is makeup, okay? So I don't actually have an infection. I wouldn't be this calm if I was, no, I'm kidding, I'd, I'd be calm. I'd be, calm. I'd be a little bit more agitated. I wouldn't be doing a webinar. Or, anyway, this is what it looks like, all right? It looks distinctly different. It's tender to the touch. It's warm. When I mean warm, I mean you could hold your hand back here and you could warm your hands. And the last one, of course, it's painful. So what do we do? When we see this, what do we do? Uh, what we do is we get a marker. Can everyone see this is a marker? This is a highlighter, a two-in-one. So this is, this is the marker side. We get a marker and what we do is we stencil around it, all right? I'm gonna stencil around it and then tell you why. We stencil around the border very gently. Make it right around that. Why do we do that? Because after I stencil it, after I stencil it, I tell the patient, okay, you're going to go to your doctor, you're going to go to the hospital, the urgent care facility, you're gonna get antibiotics because you have cellulitis. And when they get there, sometimes they may say, well, I'm gonna to go tomorrow, uh, or they go later that day. If it spreads, if the infection is outside the confines of my stencil, the doctor who they see will say, hey, this has been progressing, this is an infection, you're going on antibiotics. Conversely, it works the other way. After they're on antibiotics, typically they'll get stenciled again, and they'll see as it decreases, as it gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So make sure you stencil it, because it shows that you're responsible, and it shows that you're concerned, and you know what you're doing when they go to the ER. Anyone who has this, even if it's not an infection, we know it's not normal, and you've done the responsible thing by referring it out. What can this be confused with? This is why when Josh and I first talked about this is because a lot of people think they see this and the person says, I have elbow pain. And they're like, well, that must be muscle inflammation. And they go about and you treat it like you would any other thing. No, you can't do that because muscle inflammation doesn't look like cellulitis at all. Muscle inflammation is internal. You can get joint swelling, but, and this is another one, joint swelling out down here, it says gout. So gout is a buildup of uric acid crystals in the joint. If around a joint, like an elbow or a big toe, there's all these symptoms, tenderness, redness, heat, then it might not be an infection. It's probably gout, but either way, it doesn't matter because when in doubt, you refer out. Even if it was gout, you're not gonna treat it because you're not sure if it's an infection or not. 
emergency medicine, there's one thing about conventional medicine, and, and a friend of mine who's a medical doctor told me this. Emergency medicine and the conventional medicine is good for one thing, really good at one thing, treating emergencies. Outside of that, we know their track record in treating low back pain or musculoskeletal, look, it stinks, okay? Any other chronic condition, not that great. But you're having a heart attack, you're having a stroke, you have an infection, instantly. The medicine, the emergency medicine can help us the fastest. So I know we're in our individual disciplines and we've been learning different things, but when we have the red flag, we refer out because we have to do what's best for the patient. Infection. Some risk factors of infection, lymphedema. So anyone who has an immunosuppressed system, uh, obesity, the studies have shown that obesity increases the chance of uh, infection. Uh, people with diabetes, so capillary fragility, so blood vessels that are weak. And then any skin puncture, we look for a point of entry, specifically someone with an immunosuppressant uh, system, a scratch, a bite mark uh, from, in this case, the dog or an insect bite, things of that nature, that will aggravate it. Speaking of dogs, right on cue, Nitro walks in. Of course, he has four teeth. Right, Nitro? You open doors now, eh, bud? Okay, great. Just close hot there, yeah. Of course, the treatment, you refer, you stencil, you refer out, and then it's antibiotics. Next. So aneurysm and meningitis. So again, we don't really need to know specifically what aneurysm and meningitis is. We have to recognize the symptoms. Aneurysm is a blood vessel that bursts in the brain. Meningitis is an acute inflammation of the nervous tissue that encases the spinal cord. Both are medical emergencies. Both can present with sudden or severe headache, sudden severe headache, stiff neck. Now, there's other ones here we're gonna to get to, but if someone walks in with a sudden severe headache and a stiff neck, whether or not they have a fever, refer out. Because you're, they're the top two symptoms of either one of these conditions, refer out. Better safe than sorry. Other associated symptoms, of course, any, you know, you'll have nausea, vomiting, fever, specifically with meningitis, blurred vision, seizure, of course, in most any case, someone that has an unexplained seizure, you would call 911 or you'd get them assistance. And then this is, you know, they include this loss of consciousness. Anyone loses consciousness, definitely get them help. Now, this is different from fainting. The last thing I talk about is fainting because fainting or syncope is something that happens. It's not that uncommon that happens during an acupuncture treatment. So things we can do uh, to address that. Just that, just that, not that, push that button off the battery seat's flashing. Just hold it to shut it off. So anyone's coming in, sudden severe headache, stiff neck, we refer out. You won't see that too often, but the more patients you see, the more the greater chance you are to see it. All right, we're gonna talk about blood clot. 
DVT, deep vein thrombosis, and embolism. First, what is a blood clot? And this is the interesting thing because when we think of a blood clot, we don't think of it as in terms of injury, but injury has a lot to do with it. A blood clot is solidified blood that fails to dissolve in the blood vessel post-injury. Now, post-injury doesn't always mean someone's injured like in a sport. Post-injury means someone who has plaques, fatty plaques, atherosclerosis in their blood vessels. The blood vessel is constantly trying to reduce the inflammation, the damage in the artery itself. That's recovering from an injury. Smoking causes damage in the arteries. That's post-injury. A fracture, someone breaks their leg. The blood vessels have to repair themselves. A muscle tear, the blood vessels have to repair themselves. So people who have other things going on, like diabetes, who have capillary fragility, blood vessel fragility, are at greater risk for things like a blood clot. Definition of terms, DVT, a deep vein thrombosis is a blood clot that occurs in the deep vein of the leg or the arm. That's why they call it the deep vein thrombosis. And embolism is a blood clot that blocks flow to a vital organ or any organ at all. You can have an embolism at, to any organ of the body. The liver most common are the brain. And the most common one you hear about is a pulmonary embolism is uh, the lung. Now, very important. What are the risk factors for blood clots? Obese. Studies, in fact, the studies show, uh, recent studies that the taller you are and the heavier you are, the greater chance you have to uh, ha have a blood clot. And the reason is there's more of you, okay? The more blood vessels you have, the greater chance something can, can go wrong. People who smoke are higher risk of blood clots. People on oral contraceptives, people older than 60, people with chronic inflammatory diseases, so diabetes, bowel disease, autoimmune diseases, congestive heart failure, atrial fibrillation, cirrhosis of the liver, cancer, fractures, sitting a lot, and frequent air travel. So a lot of patients might fall into the sitting a lot and frequent air travel. So it's very important to tell your patients who travel a lot to use things like compression stockings, to make sure they get up and they walk a lot, that they stretch, because what happens as you sit, the blood itself stays in the major arteries like the femoral artery and it can actually clot because what does clot what does blood do that doesn't move it clots with platelets and it can uh, become immobile so we always want to keep moving any flights over four hours make sure you move around and walk around or have seats with extra leg room um, and uh, you know, that's why aisle seats are, are the best because it's easier to get in and out. You can stretch out your legs, especially if you're tall. And as well, sit-stand desks here in Canada are quite popular. They're desks that rise up so people can sit and stand so they can, don't have to be sitting eight, ten hours a day. They can spend more time on their feet. All right, let's talk about the blood clots themselves, when they manifest, which I've had in my career, 17 years, I've had a, uh, four that I can think of that I've sent to hospital. So they're less often. You can see infections, I've probably seen 12 or 15. Uh, four, just in this half year. 
and uh, the deep vein thrombosis. All right, so what are the symptoms? The symptoms of the deep vein thrombosis are swelling in the ankle, calf, uh, the lower leg with cramping, tightness, and as well, there are signs of infection. Warm, hot, red, tender. Now, here's the thing. A lot of, see, and you, during this webinar, whenever you see PA, that means physical assessment. It means it's an opportunity to exercise your physical assessment skills to help determine. The, and I'm mentioning this, and then I'm putting a caveat to it because Anytime I deal with a DVT and I see swelling in the ankle, foot, or calf, and it's hot, and I think it might be, I don't touch the patient. In fact, I stand like four feet away from the calf because I don't want to do anything, touch it, or do anything that might dislodge a blood clot. Uh, so I myself recommend against feeling the pulse. And this here uh, is, this is the foot. Can they see this okay? All right, this is the Achilles tendon. Remember, this was in the plantar fasciitis webinar. This is the uh, posterior tibial artery. If you feel behind the tibia, so that's in the inside part of your ankle, you can feel a pulse, okay? Someone with a blood clot, there's a decreased pulse because what is a DVT? What is a blood clot? It's a blockage of the blood vessel, the blockage of blood leading to uh, an organ, okay? So... As well, in a blood clot, you can even look at the foot itself or the nail beds and see what the perfusion, the capillary refill is in the nail beds it, themselves. So what, the, what that entails, and this is my, uh, my nails, is you press the nail and you release. You press and see how it's white and does the blood come back right away? That's a sign that the tissue is getting perfused. Another sign, without even touching the patient, if the extremities are turning kind of a bluish color, okay? If that happens, just send them to the hospital. They'll do a Doppler ultrasound, and they'll figure out whether it's just a strain or there's a deep vein thrombosis. If patients are obese, if patients have chronic inflammatory disease like diabetes, there's a greater chance they have it, so be aware of that. Embolism. So embolism, again, what is an embolism? It's a blood clot that blocks blood to an organ. In this case, we're talking pulmonary embolism. Pulmonary embolism is classified as shortness of breath, chest pain, increased heart rate, and increased breathing. And again, we see this PA, PA. So what's great uh, about this is that if someone comes in with shortness of breath and chest pain, it takes 15 seconds to take their pulse, okay? And the normal heart rate for a pulse is 60 to 100 beats a minute. Take it for 15 seconds, multiply by four. Breathing is regular uh, respirations is 12, 12 to 20 breaths a minute. If they're panting, if you can tell they uh, have chest pain and shortness of breath, refer out. Other things associated is actually a cough or a, a cough that produces blood, of course. Now, this is not costochondritis. The other thing I do with patients, and I just booted up my, my Apple Watch here because I shut it off so it would preserve the battery on the, on the phone, but the Apple Watch is fantastic because 
what it can do is sometimes if I'm not sure I had a patient yesterday who was having a bit of an anxiety attack and, uh, and whatnot, I put this on their wrist because the health option on it really is extremely well detectable. In fact, in a recent study, the Apple Watch, not the number four, this is the number three, the lower version, can actually, actually is 97% effective in detecting heart irregularities, heartbeat uh, arrhythmias, irregular heartbeats, 97% regular, uh, 97% um, uh, accurate. In fact, the number four, and I haven't seen this, this is the crown of the watch, this, the dial, you can put your finger on the crown and it takes an ECG of your heart. Think of that. And so the technology is amazing. But I'm just saying, you have it at your disposal. If you use it, you know, use it. But again, someone comes in with shortness of breath, chest pain, increased heart rate, increased breathing. Because if you have shortness of breath, you're going to have increased breathing. Uh, you know, call 911. Make sure someone gets into a hospital right away. CC means costochondritis. We've seen it a lot, especially if you're chiropractors, you've seen it a lot because patients come in and say, I have a rib out. And usually uh, a posterior to anterior thoracic adjustment clears it up or a local needling uh, to the, the paraspinals clears it up. Uh, working at the, the motor point uh, right over the area of the erector spinae, no problem. But Costochondritis, people will describe it as being having a rib out. And essentially, it's a muscular strain with some joint dysfunction at the rib articulations. So essentially, right off the center of the spine. They'll feel it, and it'll be painful with deep breaths in. For example, this is someone with costochondritis will say, take a deep breath in. It'll be like, you know, they'll be like, oh, it hurts when you take a deep breath in. Okay? Someone who has who's having a heart attack, an MI, or embolism, has breathlessness. So it's not just pain with the breath in. They have pain all the time. You know, I can't catch my breath. They're sweating. Their heart rate is up. They have chest pain, pain down their arm. Now, with costochondritis, you can also have uh, some chest pain and pain uh, down the arm, but it's less distinctive. Someone comes in with breathlessness, uh, sweating, increased heart rate, just call 911. Right, or make sure they get to a hospital. Again, you can check the heart rate, you can check the breathing, but remember, when in doubt, refer out. All right, now this one is pretty cool because we see a lot of Bell's palsy. Anyone who practices acupuncture sees Bell's palsy because Bell's palsy responds very well to acupuncture. So what happens here, you just pass me the skull right behind you. First, let's define what stroke is and what Bell's palsy is. Thank you. Stroke is a blockage of blood to the brain. It could be from a blood clot, which we just talked about, or it could be due to a burst blood vessel, okay? Wherever, if it's in the neck, wherever it may be, it can cause uh, a stroke itself. A Bell's palsy, however, is temporary paralysis of the facial nerve. Now, you remember the TMJ webinar? Uh, there was another webinar that I did. This is the uh, skull. Can they see that okay? Mm -hmm. All right. So the facial nerve, you'll, where you'll find the facial nerve, this is just great because we can look at the anatomy. This is the TMJ, okay? 
The facial nerve is actually right behind the angle of the mandible. It runs in through here and then it branches out. And it branches out to the entire uh, areas of the face because they're facial nerves. So the, of course the nerves go to the face and they're responsible for facial expression. So let's talk about a patient that comes in with a stroke and let's talk about a patient that comes in with Bell's palsy. When someone comes in with either uh, Bell's palsy or a stroke, they have drooping of the face. So if their face is drooping like this, whether they're having a stroke or whether they're having Bell's palsy, you're going to see the exact same thing. The difference is when you see that, and I do this, even patients come in and say, oh, I have, I have Bell's palsy. I don't treat them for Bell's palsy. I first rule out the stroke because it's an easy test. I say, okay, raise your eyebrows. Do this. Okay. And close your eyes. So I ask them to raise their eyebrows. See that? Raise my eyebrows. And close both of your eyes tightly. Because someone who has Bell's palsy can't do that. If someone with Bell's palsy comes in and they can do that, refer them out. Because the facial nerve is working. The facial nerve is not working. It's paralyzed. And typically, the paralysis in Bell's palsy happens at the trunk. It happens down through here. So if it happens at the trunk, then everything on that side of the face isn't working. That's Bell's palsy. If they're having a stroke, we have to think fast. F-A-S-T. First of all, facial expression. Can they raise their eyebrows? Can they close both of their eyes? If they can, that's a sign that they're having a stroke. Also, in addition, slurred speech, confusion, further uh, validates the fact that they're having a stroke. But for me, if someone has drooping face and the facial nerve works, to the hospital. Time is of the essence. 911, have someone drive them right away. Uh, you need to recognize that. And a lot of people don't know this simple test, but this simple test can pay dividends for the patient for your practice, for your career, uh, for just, you know, so you can rest assured that you've done everything you can. Okay. I'm gonna shut my phone off. Uh, the, uh, the Apple Watch, this is what it looks like. Let me see, I'm, I'm sure everyone has an Apple Watch. I'm usually late to the party anyway, so this is just, you know, it, uh, it tells us different things. It's taking my heart rate. Let's see what my, my resting heart rate is. Uh, I have to turn my arm. My, my arm doesn't bend that way. There it is. That's my, that's my resting heart rate. That's not bad. That's 60. You know, that's in Lance Armstrong uh, vicinity there. You know? All right. Enough about my watch. Complications of undiagnosed fractures. Now, this is, this is really cool because... People don't think that fractures, I have to know all these problems that can occur from a fracture. Okay, outside of the compound fracture, okay, someone comes in with a broken bone and broken skin and bone, you, you call the hospital. I'm talking about fractures that you may not know are happening or that may have happened but haven't healed correctly. All right, so here are things we have to worry about. So there's really seven different complications of undiagnosed fractures. One is a malunion. Now, a malunion, let's say this is the clavicle, because the clavicle is extremely important. The next webinar, I was telling Rebecca this, the next webinar, 
It's another free webinar, July 25th. It's on soft tissue. You're going to see the things that we can do with the clavicle and the muscle that attaches to the clavicle. We know we added uh, a clavicle, clavicular assessment to XDOR with the shoulder. Now there's research showing that it can help improve by addressing the clavicle, the function of the cervical spine. Anyway, I chose a clavicle because if you have a malunion or a problem in the clavicle, then it's going to further cause problems with the movement of the shoulder and their mechanics. A malunion is, let's say this was fractured. This is what it looks, looks like, how it should heal correctly. A malunion is when a bone heals, but it heals crooked or the alignment is off. Non-union. Non-union is when not only is it, did it heal crookedly? Well, it didn't heal at all. It actually healed in two or more separate pieces. All right, sometimes this may require surgery. And the reason I'm telling you this, because a lot of times you're not going to see a malunion or a non-union, but you're going to see someone who has a fracture or you suspect a fracture. And the fracture essentially is preceded by trauma and you have extreme tenderness in the area, lack of ability to move the joint. If that's the case, I would refer out first. Some people say, well, I'm going to treat it anyway. Well, don't because there's other complications that can happen if you suspect a fracture, get them to the hospital right away. And this is the other ones. So in any type of fracture here, have, you have concern in youths, uh, children or uh, adolescents that have not or are not fully developed, that you're going to have damage to the growth plate. So the, this is the bone growth plates are located at each end and the bone elongates, it grows. And if there's an injury, if that area is fractured, and the longer it stays fractured, sometimes it can stunt the growth of that bone. So just for that reason, if there's trauma, if they're an adolescent, make sure you get them to the hospital. Most hospitals here uh, in Hamilton, they have a fracture clinic. So most bigger metropolitans will have fracture clinics because it's that important. AVN, avascular necrosis. Avascular necrosis is when during the fracture, there's a damage, there's a severing of the blood vessel feeding the bone. And if a bone cannot get oxygen, the bone dies. The bone dies and withers away. This is what a ball and socket, we'll call this the hip joint. These are, represent the blood vessels. This green represents the fracture. And after the fracture, the blood supply is cut off. After a few weeks, this is what the head of the acetabulum looks like. Probably the most famous person ever to have a vascular necrosis, athlete, probably one of the greatest athletes of all time, Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson uh, played, uh, you know, obviously baseball and he played football with the Los Angeles Raiders. And during a game, he broke his hip and they just thought it was a hip pointer. But in fact, he severed the femoral artery and never played football again. Other complications we have to think about. Surprise, surprise, blood clots. Because we learned earlier that post-injury, clots formed, and when they're undissolved, they can form a blood clot. So someone, of course, you can think about it. If someone had a vascular necrosis, there's actually damage to the artery. If someone had a fracture, there's damage to the surrounding uh, musculature and the surrounding blood vessels. CRPS type 1, complex regional pain syndrome type 1 or type 2 can form. So after any trauma, and we are familiar with this with chronic pain, so this was re 
previously called RSD, reflex sympathetic dystrophy. So type one means there's no nerve injury, but there is changes in the extremity. Usually happens in hands or feet where the extremity will become swollen, will change color, will have profuse sweating, and will be a thousand times more tender than it has to be. Like someone had, if I had it here and I touch it, oh, it'd be, they'd be screaming. They have chronic pain. Nobody really knows why it happens, but it's like a, a blip in the nervous system that causes that part of the extremity, those nerves, to go rogue. They're like vigilantes and they kind of go off course and uh, like nomads. And this is what happens. It happens in the arm or the leg. And risk factors, of course, injury, traumatic injury, surgery, and the most recent research says people who smoke and have injury or surgery tend to develop, are more likely to develop uh, complex regional pain syndrome. So if they have a fracture, this is another reason, get them help right away. Uh, because I mean, this is not something that you can predict, but sometimes it happens uh, right away. This is the other interesting one, because people don't realize what? From a fracture, all this can happen? This is crazy. It is crazy, but it's, it's good that we're, we're having this dialogue. Osteomyelitis. Osteomyelitis is an infection of the bone. Myelitis means infection. Osteo means of the bone. What happens is this, people say, you know, even at first, you know, when I first learned this uh, back when, well, wait a minute, how does, if I break my arm, how am I going to get an infection in the bone if there's been no penetration? There, it's not like I had a compound fracture, just a regular fracture. How does that happen? Well, what happens is this, there's bacteria all over our body, right? There's bacteria in our bladder. There's bacteria in our lungs. We have the immune system that suppresses the effects of that bacteria. Bacteria are always looking for opportunities to proliferate, to grow, okay? Now, when you have a fracture, you have a decrease in your immune system because your immune system has to respond. And what happens is there's an opening in the bone. And through the bloodstream, those bacteria find ways to get into the bone and pro proliferate. So if a fracture goes undetected for a while, three, four, five days, there's a greater chance that you're going to develop or can develop osteomyelitis. And you don't want to, I had one patient that had osteomyelitis. They had surgery, then they had a fall, and they had a compression fracture in the vertebrae. And when they came in, uh, extreme pain, uh, un crying, uh, the, the pain was greater than the injury itself. They were throwing up. They thought they had food poisoning. I looked at her back around the scar. It was on fire. I talked to her mom. I said, you know, I don't want to um, alarm you, but you need to go to the hospital right now. They went to the hospital. They put her in intensive care right away. Time is of the essence. Compartment syndrome. This is an interesting one too. Not a thing you hear all the time, but compartment syndrome, what happens is if you have a fracture, you can have a uh, breakage of surrounding blood vessels or even tears in the surrounding muscles typically in the compartment so the compartment would be the lower leg where this is a sagittal uh, a transverse view that's the tibia I'll probably get a little closer that's the tibia that's the fibula and these are the different muscles and the blood vessels that's the middle compartment the posterior compartment the anterior compartment so this would be like the tibialis anterior this would be the calf this would be the tibialis uh, posterior and the, the uh, internal muscles there. If there's a fracture here, what happens, there's muscle swelling. The muscle swells 
bleeds and puts pressure on the vein, artery, and the nerve. And what happens there is blood is cut off, uh, is blo blocks blood flow to uh, the extremities themselves, the distal uh, foot. So what happens is that pressure needs to be relieved. And if there's an injury, so this also happens in muscle injury, which we'll talk about, we need to act fast. So if someone comes into your office, let's say they have a calf strain, they have compartment syndrome, and you're not sure, the compartment syndrome is going to look a lot like what? A DVT. And if it looks like a DVT, do we feel for the posterior uh, tibial pulse? I would recommend against it, send them to the hospital. Complications of muscle injury. This is pretty interesting. Let's say we get a muscle rupture. Rupture. What happens in a muscle rupture, a muscle tear? This is what happens. This is the progression. We get intramuscular swelling and bleeding, okay? And then potentially what, what this can morph into is what? Because this is in post-injury, there's a chance of deep vein thrombosis. There's a chance of compartment syndrome. This is typically now we're talking in the lower arm or the lower leg. So it's just important to recognize that if there was an injury, let's say a beer league, so they have beer leagues in Canada where they all go and drink beer after they play softball. Uh, and so let's say people who are not in great shape, maybe they have diabetes, they're obese, uh, ill health, they go and they pop uh, their Achilles or they tear their gastroc in their calf and they come in. And they're presenting with a tear in their calf. Oh, I hurt, you know, there was trauma, but it feels hot. Uh, it's tender to the touch. It could be potentially one of these things. So always keep that in the back of your mind. I'm not saying everyone who tears a muscle is going to have a uh, complication, but you need to be aware of it. With compartment syndrome, though, pain, with, with, with deep vein thrombosis, they're not in excruciating pain. They're like, well, it hurts, it's hot, it's swollen. With compartment syndrome, the pain is not proportional to the injury, okay? Almost similar to complex regional pain syndrome. The pain is not proportional to the injury. But in that case, you refer them out. And again, physical assessment, pulselessness, but we don't really know the difference between DVT and compartment syndrome. We're not sure, even though people, let's say uh, sports medicine specialists might be able to tell the difference our job is not to tell the difference. Our job is to detect a problem. My other one, this is an interesting one too, and you don't see it a lot, but blunt trauma to the muscle. What's blunt trauma to the muscle? Blunt trauma is just a square hit, okay? It's uh, probably getting hit by a baseball. I see this, I saw this once patient who plays uh, baseball got hit by a pitcher, right? They threw the ball, hit by a pitch. Um, and another time it happens is, I, I remember me when I played basketball, it happened usually in the thigh. It comes off as a deep bruise or a charley horse. And what happens is a lot of times in basketball, when you're driving to the hoop, right, a defender trying to defend you, you get a knee or an elbow to the leg, uh, and it develops a deep bruise, a deep bruise to the thigh. By the way, I predict this year the Los Angeles Clippers will be receiving a lot of Charlie horses, especially when they're playing uh, Toronto Raptors when they're driving to the basket. So what happens is, what can happen? 
something called myositis ossificans. So myositis ossificans is after blunt trauma, you get a calcification forming in the area of the deep bruise about four weeks after. And why this is important is because patients will come to you and say, you know, I got this Charlie horse four weeks ago, five weeks ago, and it really hurts. And now it feels like a hard ball is forming there. I think the muscle is tightening up, right? But what's happened is calcific change. And the thing with myositis ossificans, the more we do manual treatment on it, especially right after the injury, the, the greater chance you have of, of creating calcific, uh, you make the problem worse. You, you accelerate the calcific deposition in the muscle. So this is what you need to do. If a patient comes to you, a blunt trauma, all right, and, and the mechanism is a blunt trauma hit by a pitch, Charlie Horace kind of kicked directly, uh, you know, in, in martial arts, you know, I took a, a shot to the, the thigh. The treatment is rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation, no needles, no soft tissue work. For first 48 hours, the research shows, treat it with rest, ice, compression, and elevation. After 48 hours, then the research says we can do different things like muscle work, acupuncture, things to help improve blood flow to it. But even still myself, I would work around the area. Okay, I, I wouldn't go right in, into the area. I, I'm sure, I, I believe uh, very common for traditional uh, Chinese practitioners, they call it surround the dragon. Uh, that's one thing that, that's common. You know, when, when it's this sensitive and this acute, work around it, stick with rice, don't do any manual work to it. The other thing, and I've never seen this, but it, it's something that's typically coupled with myositis ossificans is pyomyositis. So what happens after an injury, you get an infection in the muscle. And typically, this happens in people who are immunocompromised and also, for some reason, happens in tropical uh, regions, people in tropical regions that have a muscle injury and develop muscle infections. The reasons for it, I'm not uh, clear, again, but our job isn't to know the reasons. Our, our job is to know if someone comes in, uh, let's say, with a muscle, say, oh, I hurt my leg uh, four weeks ago. Uh, but I have a fever and I'm really sick and I don't feel well, well, maybe you should see your doctor, okay? Good, okay, so here, the, the, the last thing I wanted to cover before we get into the, the Q and the, uh, the question and answer is fainting and syncope. Fainting and syncope is not an emergency. Okay, it's typically it's not. It's happened to me you know, three or four times in my career. Patients have fainted, right? I'm sure it's happened to every, almost every one of you. And it's a possible side effect of not just acupuncture. It's a side effect of manure manipulation. I've had someone pass out from soft tissue work uh, before. And it's not an emergency unless the patient remains unresponsive. And, and how long is that? Well, it typically, in my experience, you know, when it happens, you know, time is, it's hard to, to quantify time because you're so focused on helping the patient. Uh, I, I would say anything longer than 30 seconds, I would start to be concerned. But what, what you do is you stay calm, you protect the patient. If they pass out, you make sure you get them on the table or, or in a position where they can't hurt themselves. Remove any needles you haven't already and manually apply GV26. It works extremely well, of course, I'm, many of you, everyone knows that already. But GV26, put the pressure down for 10, 12, 15 seconds, and as you have the pressure, 
they'll they'll start to respond. Okay, uh, that's not an emergency. And what you do is you just at that point I, I end the treatment. Okay, and I you know I get them some water, I get them comfortable, I assess whether or not they're able to leave the clinic and go home by themselves, or we need to call help like a family uh, friend whoever, a family member, friend, to drive them, right? Or call a taxi or whatever, right? We need to make that, that judgment call. So we want to make sure that once they're responsive, to assess their ability to leave without help. So again, because so, some people think, well, they passed out, that's it. It's not a just stay calm. You know, it, it happened. It doesn't happen a lot. Ways we can decrease that is, that's why I always have the patient laying down when I'm doing acupuncture. Uh, I never really have them sitting up. Of course, there are some cases where you need to have them sitting up because they can't lay on the table, they're elderly. You just want to keep an extra eye out for them uh, in that case. A and the predisposition to that is how is their overall health? Are they immunocompromised? Do they have diabetes? Are they on a lot of medications? If that's the case, I you know, tend to spend a little bit more time or a little bit more attention to making sure they're protected if I have them seated when I'm doing acupuncture. So that is that. So we'll get to the Q&A. But to conclude, understand, when you look at something, ask, what the heck am I looking at? What is happening? And you'll be able to recognize this is not something I can treat. I'm not sure what this is, but I need to refer out. I can't help them with that. So understand. And also understand that when in doubt, refer out. When in doubt, refer out. No one is going to blame you for referring them out if you're not sure, if you think they have an infection, a DVT, having a heart attack, a stroke. No one's going to blame you for that. But if you miss it, they're going to blame you. All right. So now we can do the Q&A. Is, is that work? Or do they want to like a short break before the Q&A? Rebecca, what is, uh, what's the consensus? Let me... Uh... Actually, I'm going to pull this out because I have to switch to my head. Rebecca, can you hear us? Oh, sorry, I was muted. I can hear you. Yeah, you can hear us now? Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the consensus? Do they want a short break or just go right into the Q&A? Uh, I'm ready to wait. What do y'all think? Probably just go right into the Q&A. Yeah, okay. Just Yeah, let's just, uh, finish it up. Sure. What I'll do is, uh, I think I'm going to sit, because what I usually do is I read them off the screen, right? There's a couple, uh, there's some on the, because this is, fee, uh, sorry, this is live on Facebook as well, and there were some. Oh, okay, so do you want to read them to me then? So, let's see here, give me one second. Oop, that's not what I meant to do, I can hear myself, that's terrible. <laughs> All right, I can put the head on and then I can probably hear you. No, we're good. All right, hold on. Okay, thanks. Uh, okay, I'm here. Can you guys hear me? All right, so do you, so there's questions in the Q&A. Can you see those? Yeah. Uh, in the Q&A, I can see, yeah. Okay. And you yeah. Okay. Uh, actually, you know what? Um, 
No, I'm going to sit uh, here. Turn it right. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I can read the question in the Q&A. Sorry, we're just getting organized here. I just have to switch the camera around. Okay. So this, we're going to drop this. Yeah, oh, that'd be work. Yeah. I'm not in there. It's still on you. One second. Okay, this is it. Yeah, that's good. You guys can see me, eh? Can you hear me, guys? Yep. All right, we're good. Thanks. All right, Q and A. Okay, so Q and A is just a few questions. So, do you want me to start with that? Yeah. Uh, okay, so good question by Heather. Uh, in, in certain uh, states or provinces, that uh, stating that uh, you know, I'm saying I'm concerned you have cellulitis. Uh, we can't they they can't diagnose it. But and what you're doing there is you're not diagnosing it, but you're making them uh, aware of it. I mean, our responsibility is to protect the patient. Uh, if they're presenting with an infection, you say, look, I think you have an infection. This looks like an infection. I would uh, recommend that you get it checked out. Is it making a solid diagnosis? And you're not treating them for cellulitis. You're, you know, you're stating, uh, you're stating fact. Uh, and you know, if, if you didn't do that and it came back and the patient died, you know, you get sued, you know, and you probably lose your license. So, um, I, I think it's good to think in those terms, but you know, don't say you know I you definitely have cellulitis, but you definitely should get this checked out. That's how I would go about it, and that's how I do go about it. Uh, how about differentiating from migraine? So that's good. Usually with migraine, you won't get extreme neck stiffness where they can't turn their head. Um, again, that's more of a judgment call if it's just a migraine and they don't have neck stiffness. You can have neck pain, but not neck stiffness. Um, you know, that's where you have to make the judgment call. If you know the patient and you see them often for the migraine, it's always best to, to err on the side of caution. You know, the patient, might, the patient will often come in and say, I've never had a headache this bad before. This is so, this is different than the norm. In that case, you know, you say, well, I'd recommend that you, you know, definitely go to the hospital. Uh, always refer gout. Uh, I guess the question is, do we always refer out if they have gout in a joint? I always do because I don't know if it's an infection. Okay. It looks like gout, but it also looks like cellulitis. I'm not going to do much uh, for either. Uh, if we're wrong, I know there's protocols, you know, to treat uh, gout, but we want to make sure they're on medication first where it's been diagnosed that it is gout, they're on medication for it to help bring it down, or at least they're aware of it. Uh, but if they come in presenting with you, yeah, j just, just refer out. There's no need to, to split hairs over a, a gout patient. How sudden, um, the question is, how sudden neck pain for meningitis within one or two days, one week? It's hard to say, you know, when like how sudden. Sudden is, is typically something that's kind of, comes out a sudden, it comes out of the blue. And when they get to you, when the patient gets to you, you need to make that judgment call that they have a, a, a sudden headache, they have a stiff neck, they have other symptoms, nausea, fever, they're feeling unwell, just, just send them out. If, if the, no one's gonna blame you if someone says, look, they have a sudden headache, they have a stiff neck, uh, you, know, they're feel, they've, you know, they're not feeling well, 
because anyone with neck pain or a lot of pain is going to have nausea, right, or vomiting. Just, just refer them out. It's no-brainer. Later, can we put up the poster for stroke? I missed some of it. Yeah, can do that. Let me do that. Uh, one sec. One sec. All right, I'll leave that up for a few minutes. Does trauma from a motor vehicle accident uh, potentially create myositis ossificans like uh, in the neck or chest under seatbelt injuries? It's a good question. Uh, it, it could, you don't typically hear of it uh, being caused from a motor vehicle accident unless it's something like let's say blunt trauma during the accident where their thigh hits the underside of the dash. Uh, that would be kind of blunt trauma because the, the seatbelt, uh, I mean, it's possible. It's, in fact, I knew of a case where in the older cars, okay, uh, where you had uh, like in the 80s where the, 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 or even the 70s, the belts were much tighter, um, not forgiving. You know, now they just, they, they tighten up. Uh, you can get it. it it's possible it is blunt trauma so if for example if for example after the accident there you see some swelling anything that would constitute blunt trauma like a charlie horse treat it for rice treat it with rice for the first 48 hours and, and you'll be good how do you usually guess that it's gout what do you look for uh, again you just make a, a, a clinical uh uh, educated uh, guess and, and so essentially gout is anything that has the appearance of an infection or cellulitis only it's in a joint it's in a joint itself and so that's what I look for if I see that then uh, then I say you know what it looks like you have an infection or a gout I, I just have go and see your doctor usually infections are much more sensitive uh, much more expansive Gout will just typically stay in that joint. That's a good one, Heather. Uh, Heather says she refers uh, she refers cellulitis out right away, and uh, she takes pictures to demonstrate the boundaries. And that way, uh, you can refer. To, oh yeah, I take pictures with cell phones. It, you know, it's awesome. In fact, that's what I did with the patient on Monday. I stenciled it. I took a picture of it. And then I said, uh, you know, with his phone. But what happened? He had an appointment the next day, and it was getting worse. And he went at night to the uh, ER, or he, yeah, to get uh, antibiotics. Question with, uh, I'm going to put this back on me. With fractures, was the main takeaway? that we should send to hospital if we suspected untreated eye diagnosed fracture? Yes, 
Yes, yeah. So that that's the takeaway. If you think it's fractured, make sure they go to the hospital and then you know, you've done your part. Uh, also to say that it is better to treat distally rather than local. Yes, that, that's, per so the question is, and that's, that's really good. Um, that's a really good point. You could do that. You know, if someone has blunt trauma, let's say to the quadricep, you could treat liver three. All right. That wouldn't do it. The problem is, is when we go right into the area or around the area with needles or myofascial or, or our hands, uh, that we can make the problem worse. So we could do that. We could treat locally with rice and we could do distal. Okay. And because a distal point, if it's a quadricep, the distal point in the foot, that's far enough away or auricularly when you, you know, use point zero, use shed men, stuff like that. Uh, but that's, you know, I, that's what I would do. I would use more in the liver three if I was dealing with, uh, uh, let's say a contusion, deep bruise. Good. So you guys are thinking clinically. I like this. It's beautiful. Uh, sorry, the earlier poster. Oh, okay. One second. Uh, you want the blood clot, uh, Referencing this will be on um, uh, Rebecca, this will be on uh, what do we call that? Uh, Acubits, right? What's uh, possibly, and it's definitely we are live is. to Facebook as well, so it'll be on the group. Oh, great! There you go. It'll be it'll be on there. Yep. So yes, this is being streamed live to Facebook and recorded, so it you'll be able to see it again. Yeah. Later, in the uh, CMTW group. So there's the there's a DVT one there. I can turn the other one as well. All right. Uh, I think I'm almost near the end of my questions. What do you have? Let me just double check. Uh, what were the emergencies? What were the emergencies described first? Ten minutes before cellulitis. It was nothing. Uh, cellulitis was the first one. I just talked about uh, what we were going to talk about our goals, made a couple jokes that probably nobody laughed at. And <laughs> All right. I, I'm out of questions. What do you have? Uh, um, let's see here on Facebook. Um, someone asked, cause you had mentioned a few times um, using rice, rest, ice, compression, elevation. And someone was asking, what about Dr. Merkin's uh, comments about retracting the, um, suggestion or the suggestion of rice i don't know if you know about that yeah you don't know yeah I, I'm, I'm not sure but i know that that's that's out there in the research not using rice that with blunt trauma i would stick to rice blunt trauma just because we know uh, myositis can happen with anything else like a joint sprain an ankle sprain i i totally agree with that you know movement is better treatment right away is better than rice but i'm talking about for blunt trauma yeah, I think that's what Dr. Merkin was suggesting. It's not. Oh, was he? I, yeah, that's what I'm. I'm my answer is that um, it's going to delay recovery. But we're here. We're talking about blunt trauma, not about. Right, we're talking blunt trauma, and it's just for the first forty-eight hours, you know. And then there was one. It was more of a um, an experience from John Cooker. Yeah. A patient, mid-50s, obese male, works installing pool screen enclosures in Florida. He is a regular patient when he came into the clinic complaining of fatigue, cramps, and dizziness. His first thought was maybe heat stroke or exhaustion. I immediately got an electrolyte drink to him, but when I returned to the room, he was complaining 
of intense cramps, no numbness down the arm, blood pressure was high, maybe 150 over 90. To be safe, I called 911. It turned out to just be heat related. He also had short Beautiful. 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 Yeah. Heat related. That's something, you know, football players have died of that, right? Heat stroke. You know, Corey Stringer, how many guys have died from heat stroke and they're pro athletes, right? So you did the right thing, man. That's, that's what you do. Beautiful. And I, I'm glad uh, he was in your care. That was fantastic. Uh, anything else? Uh, that's all that's on Facebook group. So I think we're good for questions. All right. And remember, in the 20, on G, uh, July 25th, it's 8.30 p.m. That's a Thursday. I'm telling you guys, this is going to be something. It's a free webinar. It's an hour. I'm going to go through the mechanics of soft tissue work. One hour, it's going to change your, your clinical perspective and prime you for, like, for example, the Vancouver course when we do a full day of manual work. But um, ideally, you know, uh, book it now. Or when I mean, I believe it's available now. What I mean book it now is make plans to, to watch it because ideally it's best if you have a patient with you because I'm going to be doing things on my patient and as I'm going to walk you through it, you do it on your patient, okay? So convince someone hey, you want a free treatment for an hour or whatever? And, and the points we're going to work on is the VMO and, uh, and, and the forearms, the pronator carries. Simple stuff that will get you great results with different things like carpal tunnel and knee osteoarthritis. The point is, is that you get used to using your hands and you get confident, you get good at it. So do it, okay? Like if you can, uh, I mean, that will be uh, recorded as well. But um, it's just, you know, it's going to be something special. So, and it's going to be free as well. I think July is free webinar month or something. I, don't know, I just made that up, but again, nobody laughed. You're starting rumors. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it is. I think Jamie Chavez has one. Um, and I'm not sure if someone else does. So it, it could be free webinar. month. All right. Any other? Oh, I think there's one more in the Q and A. Uh, question. Good. Good question. Stroke versus uh, DVT. To clarify, stroke does not involve eyes. Um, uh, no. So typically, if someone's having a stroke. Uh, it'll affect their facial expression. It'll affect their ability to talk. So that's why F A S T F was facial expression. A was assessing it to see if it was stroke because if it's a stroke and they're able to close their eyes and raise their eyebrows, then we know it's differentiated from Bell's palsy. If they have slurred speech or difficulty speaking, so essentially, if they have uh, drooping of the face, difficulty speaking. Uh, confused, then they're having a stroke. It can come from a blood clot, of course, but it would be different from DVT. DVT, there wouldn't be any of those symptoms. It would be local, like, um, excuse me, pain, uh, redness, swelling, um, tenderness in the calf or, or the arm. It could be like the upper arm. So that's just, you know, go back in, and, like I said, Rebecca said it's on Facebook, so it's great. You can watch it uh, as many times as possible as you want. I think that's it for questions. All right. 
Awesome. Yeah, thank you're welcome, everybody. Thanks, everyone. You're welcome. Enjoy the day. Go out there and I don't know what people do, but uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go have a cappuccino and but I'm doing so just a quick thing. You know what I'm doing right now? The one hundred push up challenge. I'm on day two of week one. At the end of six weeks, I'll be able to do a hundred push ups in a row. All right. Yeah, again, nobody cares. But that sounds like a yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be left. I'm gonna be ripped. When you see me in uh, August in uh, Seattle, I'm gonna be ripped. <laughs> That's but it's gonna be awesome. He's gonna teach with a shirt off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna need bigger shirts or smaller shirts. I'm not sure what you do when you get muscles. You wear tighter shirts. <laughs> tighter shirts and go tan, so you look cut. Anyway. Okay, guys, thank you for coming out. I'm glad you made it. And um, any questions, uh, post them online or email me or, you know, you know the drill, guys. I'm happy to help. Keep working hard. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac Wayne heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Arnejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured, it was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.